Guys, I uh, talked to Reed. He says you can contact his agent if you're interested. Uh, he is for hire. New career shift for you, Reed. Love it. Uh, good morning, guys. Uh, my name is Kevin Miller. I am a part of our teaching team here. Uh, really excited to be concluding uh, our four weeks in this series we've been doing on Sabbath. Uh, before I do that, I want to tell you guys a quick story as to, to why I think this is important. And this is just a, a small picture of why I think we need to be talking about Sabbath probably more than we do. So uh, my day job, I work with an organization called The Navigators. I, I get to disciple and mentor students at UC Davis. And I was meeting with one of our, our senior guys at the beginning of, of spring quarter, and uh, we were looking at his schedule. We were, uh, he's showing me his calendar, just trying to figure out, all right, you know, when are you, when are you going to spend time with God? When are you going to get your homework done? We we're just trying to balance things. And I looked at his calendar, and there was a lot of color. And he had, like, color-coded different things. And as I was looking at it, I noticed that there was very little white in this calendar. And so I, I was like, hey, man, this, this is great. I mean, it looks like you're doing a lot of really cool things. Uh, but when are you going to practice Sabbath, right? When are you going to take any time off? And he looks at me with this really kind of deer in the headlights look. And he says, Kevin, do we still have to obey that law? And I thought, that's really interesting, right? This, honor the Sabbath, keep it holy. One of the 10 commandments. So God says, hey, I have 10 rules for you. This is one of them. It made the top 10. And, and, and he said, I don't, do we still have to obey that one? It's an interesting question. What's, what's fascinating to me about that is I don't think any of the other Ten Commandments get that kind of questioning. You know, if I had said, hey, man, you really got to practice not murdering this quarter, you'd have been like, yeah, do we still have to obey that one? Adultery, lying, honoring God, not having idols. But when it comes to Sabbath, there's some confusion. So needless to say, I think we're confused about the idea of Sabbath. And, and when, when I talk about Sabbath, if, you're, if you haven't been with us, I'm talking about rest. I'm talking about the, the command that God gave his people to stop working for one day a week. This series has been an attempt to uncover why did God give Sabbath and what is the purpose about it? What does the Bible teach us about Sabbath? And what we've seen is the Bible really, uh, from beginning to end, plays with this idea of rest. It's a theme throughout all of Scripture. And, and so I'm going to kind of just catch you guys up where we've been the last three weeks uh, and before we finish today. So we started three weeks ago. Uh, Ewan did a phenomenal job working through the first five books of the Bible, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Uh, what does God have to say about Sabbath? And we saw that, that God created the world in six days and that God actually took the first Sabbath. He was the one who rested. And then later on, he commands his people, the nation of Israel, the Jews, to honor the Sabbath and to keep it holy. And so he gives them a list of rules to follow. And you did a good job of pointing out that this was both a gift from God to enjoy, but also a command to be obeyed means that they, they weren't allowed to do normal work. They had to rest. But week two, Jeff shared and, and talked us through how sin distorts God's created plan. And in particular with Sabbath, sin destroys the purpose and the practice of Sabbath. 
He he showed us that instead of resting in who God says that we are, we often strive and toil to achieve and to earn our identity from what we do. We flip the order and we distort the idea of Sabbath because when we have to earn our identity from what we do, we can never rest. We can never take a day off. So we distort the Sabbath. And then last week, uh, Pastor Steve was here and, and he showed us how Jesus comes and he, he flips Sabbath a little bit. That Sabbath isn't about keeping rules as the Jews, the Pharisees thought that it might be. But Sabbath is an invitation for us to experience Jesus and the gospel. And then something really happens, really interesting happens after Jesus dies uh, and raises from the dead. In the New Testament, the word Sabbath is used 57 times. 55 of those times, so most of them, are in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts, uh, what would be called like the narrative portion of the New Testament. So most of the time we hear Sabbath in the New Testament, it's talking about the narrative books. And in a few times, like for example, last week we looked at Luke 6, Jesus is giving instructions about the Sabbath. But most of the time, it's actually just referring to the day. So for example, oftentimes Jesus or the Apostle Paul would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And that's all the scripture says. So Jesus dies, he raises from the dead, the book of Acts happens, and in the rest of scripture, all of the epistles and revelation, the letters, we only have two mentions of the word Sabbath. Once in Colossians and once in Hebrews, which we'll look at this morning. And the reason that I mention that is because I don't want to presume to speak where the scriptures are silent. I never want to say something that the Bible doesn't actually say. And so when we talk about Sabbath in the New Testament, Sabbath in in our day and age, the Bible is actually pretty quiet. Now, this does not mean that we, we don't take it seriously, but it does mean that we have to be really careful about prescribing rules and saying, this is how it must be. Because the scripture doesn't prescribe rules on this particular area. So I'm not going to like stand up here this morning and say that you can't play sports on Sunday because the Bible's not clear about that. Now, with that being said, there's a reason we did this series. Because as a church, we don't rest well. Many of us are overworked we're too busy, we're burnt out. We, we, we have a terrible habit of always saying yes and never saying no. Technology means that we can never really shut off and disconnect from work. And part, part of it's the culture that we live in, the university campus, the 21st century. Part of it is our own sin, our desire to, to find our identity in what we do. And so I do, I, I wanna be careful about prescribing rules, but I also I want us to take more rest. I want us to increase the quantity of our rest, and I want us to increase the quality of that rest. I have very rarely met people. There there are people out there, but I very very rarely meet people that say, yeah, I'm doing enough in the area of rest. Now, it's going to mean something different for everybody. For some of us, it might mean less work, more time with family, maybe less time on the computer, more time outside, maybe less time in the textbook, and more time in the Bible. 
I want us to get more rest and better rest. So that, that's my goal. My cards are on the table. Uh, and, and I think what we're going to see this morning in Hebrews is that rest is about so much more than just taking time off. So uh, Hebrews 3 is where we're going to be. If you do not have a Bible, uh, please uh, throw a quick hand. There's some guys, there's extra Bibles. They can grab you one. Um, Tom's standing up right now. So be bold. If you need a Bible, throw up a hand. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to turn to Hebrews chapter 3. If you're a little bit unfamiliar with the Bible, it's towards the end, like back 10%. Let me pray. God, thank you this morning for the opportunity to look at your word, to open to the book of Hebrews, uh, to talk about, discuss, and, and learn together what it means to rest and to find rest in you. God, Hebrews can be a a confusing book. There's great depth and meaning here, and so I pray that you would uh, help me to speak clearly as I ought to speak, and would you help us this morning to hear what you would want to speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you be uh, forming convictions in us? Would you be opening our ears to hear and our minds to understand? God, would you show us wonderful things from your word this morning? And would you be glorified in it? And Lord, would we learn as a church to take rest seriously? We love you and we we pray that you would do these things for your glory in Jesus' name, amen. Hebrews 3. Quick context of Hebrews. What, What do you need to know about Hebrews Uh, Hebrews is all about Jesus and how Jesus is better. The audience of Hebrews was being persecuted. They were a a group of Jewish Christians who were being persecuted for their faith. And in in the midst of intense persecution, we're talking prison, beatings, stuff getting stolen, confiscated, some of them were were actually abandoning the faith. They, They were quitting. They were peacing out, tapping out said, I, I, it's not worth it. I don't want to keep being a Christian if this is what it means to be a Christian. So they would leave behind Christianity, and many of them would actually revert back to Judaism. And the author of Hebrews sends them this letter to encourage them, and he says, guys, Jesus is better than anything that Judaism has to offer, and he is worth persevering and enduring. So, in the first couple of chapters, he talks about how Jesus is better than any angels that you might be tempted to worship. Jesus is better than Moses, who you might follow. Jesus is better than uh, the high priest that, that you would rely on if you were a Jew. So why would you go back to those things? And, and what he's going to show us in chapters 3 and 4 is that because Jesus is better, better than angels, better than Moses, better than anything the Jewish system had to offer— Jesus offers us a better rest. And and there's some depth here. There's some analogies. There's some symbolism. And so what I want to do is I kind of want to spoil the climax a little bit. Uh, I'm going to kind of spoil the ending and and give you guys what what I think is the main point here, what he's trying to get at. And my hope is that uh, as, as we read the passage, it'll make sense in light of this statement, which is, Sabbath rest is a picture of the gospel. Sabbath rest, 
throughout the whole scripture is a picture of what God does for his people in the gospel. And with that in mind, let's start in chapter 3, verse 7. First thing he's going to say is a warning. Verse 7, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, and he quotes, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brothers, lest there be any, in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if, indeed, we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. All right, a lot is happening right here. There's, there's three layers. Let me walk you through them. Three layers of what's going on. First is way back in the book of Exodus, if you've seen the movie Prince of Egypt, Moses leads the people out of slavery and he's leading them to the promised land. The problem is, on the way to the promised land, the Israelites rebelled. They didn't trust God, they didn't obey God, they hardened their hearts and they turned away from God. So God was angry with them, rightly so, and he says to the, the Israelites, he says, they're never going to enter my rest. Now, what's interesting about that is, is the Israelites did eventually make it to the promised land. But God still says, they shall never enter my rest. So something happened there uh, under the surface. So that's the first layer. Second layer, hundreds of years later, Psalm 95, which is where this quote is from, is from King David. David is recounting the story of the Israelites. So David is looking back and he says, today, if you hear his voice, don't do what they did. Don't make the same mistake that the Israelites did. Don't harden your heart if God is telling you to trust him and obey him. Third layer, the author of Hebrews then takes David's quote from Psalm 95 and he says to the Hebrew church, he says, guys, today... If you hear God's voice telling you to obey him and to trust him, don't harden your heart. Don't turn away from God the way that they did. Fourth layer, today, April 29th, 2018, God's saying, today, if you hear my voice, don't harden your hearts like they did. And so that, that's what I want to say to us this morning is, this morning, if you hear God from his word telling you to trust him and to obey him, don't harden your hearts like they did. 
This warning is equally true for us. And and hopefully you guys see this. This isn't just about taking a day off once a week. This is much more serious than that. When God says that they will never enter his rest, he's talking about eternity. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about paradise with God after we die. This is about our eternal fate. It's about whether we make it to the end and spend eternity with him in heaven or whether in his wrath he says that they shall never enter my rest. So this morning, if, if you hear him saying, listen to me, follow me, be careful not to harden your hearts. What, what does that mean? What does it mean to harden your heart? Uh, look at verse 12. He says, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. And then in verse 18, to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. Well, which is it? Is it unbelief or is it disobedience? It's both. And I think this is a really important point, almost a sub-point, but, a, but an important point. In the scriptures, faith and obedience are not to be separated. You, you can't have one without the other. You can't have true obedience to God unless you believe in him. And you can't truly believe in him without then obeying him. And so the Israelites, when they were wandering in the desert, when they had left Egypt, they didn't enter God's rest because they didn't trust him and they didn't do what he asked them to do. They aren't to be separated. And so for some of us this morning, I think hopefully this is hitting a little close to home. Because some of us, if we're honest, we neither believe nor obey him. But then there might be some of us that say, yeah, I believe in him. But when you look at your life, there's no obedience. There's no sense that you're actually following him. And so if, if that is you this morning, again, I say, don't harden your hearts. Listen to what he has for you. Respond to him. Because he moves from a warning in chapter 3 to chapter 4, an invitation. Starting in verse 1, chapter 4, he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest. As he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day today, saying through David so long afterward, and the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest 
so that no one may fall by the same sword of disobedience. Stop there. I want to walk back through. There's a lot there, and I'm not going to exhaustively dive into each, each verse. Uh, I do want to just point out a few things that he says about this rest. Verse 1, he says that while the promise of entering his rest still stands, and then in verse 3, he says, for we who have believed enter that rest. So the Israelites, again, they didn't believe God. Even though they saw his miracles, they saw what he did in Egypt, they failed to believe him. They didn't trust him. But the door is still open for us. We, we still have the opportunity to believe God and enter into his rest. But know that the, the time is limited. So he says in verse 1, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And the reason he says this is because, guys, there will be a day when Jesus returns and the opportunity to enter his rest will close and he will come to save his people who have put their faith in him. And when he comes, that invitation is over. So don't harden your hearts. If he's saying, enter my rest, let's enter his rest. And so in verse 4, he starts to describe this rest, uh, and this is culminating. You're gonna, you guys are going to see. It's all going to start coming together here. Verse 4, he says, well, somewhere, and by somewhere he means Genesis, spoken of the seventh day in this way, God rested from all of his works on the seventh day. So again, this goes back to Genesis 2. Ewan talked about this. In six days, God creates the world. The seventh day, God rested. Not because he was tired, but because there was nothing left to do. He had finished everything that needed doing, and, and he stopped to enjoy the fruit of his labor. He looks at creation in Genesis, and he says, this is good. I did a good job with this. I'm going to enjoy this. So then in verse 6 in Hebrews, he says, it remains for some to enter it. He says that, that rest, that, that rest that God started in Genesis, that rest is still available for us. At this point, we should be a little bit confused. Like, what in the world is he talking about here? In verse 9 and 10, he climaxes, he says, There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. So what's going on here? Here's the story. When God created Adam and Eve, everything was perfect. On the seventh day, when God rested, Adam and Eve rested with God. They enjoyed paradise with him. Yeah, they, they worked in the garden, but work was life-giving and joyful. It wasn't toilsome. It wasn't burdensome. But in Genesis 3, when sin enters the world, that rest is broken. And ever since Genesis 3, mankind has strived and toiled because of the curse, because of our sin. And you guys know what I'm talking about. It's, it's the endless performance treadmill that we're on in this world. It's the, the toil, the striving, the pressures of life that never seem to stop. We spend our life and our energy chasing, what, rep reputation, a degree, wealth, Retirement, 
feels like we take two steps forward and we go three steps back. And in the back of our mind, we know that all of our work, all of our effort, all of our striving is ultimately going to be meaningless when we die and it all fades with us. We, we strive and we toil for what? But what else is there to do? That's how the world works. We have to keep working. We have to keep striving. We can't get behind. Guys, God never intended the world to work that way. And he wants to fix that. He intends to fix that. He invites us today to enter his rest. Because he says, whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works, just as God rested from his. We get to share in his rest, the rest he always intended us to have with him. Rest from our striving, our work, our effort, and our toil. We can quiet the voice in the back of our mind that's always telling us we're not doing enough. Why? Why, why do we get to enter into this? How, how is it possible for us to get off the performance treadmill the answer is found in what Jesus did on the cross. Because the ultimate work that is required of us to get right with God has already been finished. In John chapter 19, we, we see Jesus hanging on the cross. His time on earth is almost finished. His, his 33 years of life, his three years of ministry, all culminating in this one moment. And while he's on the cross... Right before he dies, he says, it is finished. It's finished. There's nothing left to be done. It is done. It is finished. You see, Jesus completed the work required of us by dying on the cross. The, the toil, the work, the striving because of the curse, he took it on himself. And he rose from the dead, giving us eternal life, freedom from the endless toil. You see, to enter God's rest is to accept Jesus' finished work on our behalf and to cease from our striving. It is to enjoy the free gift of forgiveness and life. Yes, life eternal, but life even now. That's what God is inviting us into. He's saying, enter my rest. Stop trying to earn your salvation. At this point, though, you should feel, if you're a Christian this morning, you should feel a little bit of attention. Say, that sounds great. Yes, I believe the gospel. Yes, I know Jesus forgave me for my sins, but life is still hard. I still feel like I'm striving and toiling. I'm a Christian, but I, have I not... Do I not receive it? Did I not do it right? Why is this still hard? Life doesn't get easier when I'm a Christian. In fact, for some of us, it might have even gotten harder. Where does that tension come from? And, and here's the, the subtlety that I think we need to understand this morning. This is what I think the author of Hebrews is trying to show us, is that we live in a tension between what Jesus has done and what Jesus has still yet to do. Maybe some of you guys have heard this. It's not maybe a new term, new phrase, but we live in what is called already, but not yet. So Jesus comes and he says, I bring the kingdom of God on earth. And yet we look around and we see sin and we see pain and we see brokenness and evil. And we think, Jesus, 
where's your kingdom? Do, do you, are you really king? Are you really reigning on the earth? And the answer is yes, but not yet. Yes, but not yet. Jesus will return and his kingdom will be complete. And in the same way, rest, true Sabbath rest, ceasing from our toil is something that we experience in part now, but we'll experience fully when Christ returns. Practically, what does this mean? What does this look like? It means that rest means that taking a day off is an appetizer. Now, whenever I go get Chinese food, I always get spring rolls. They're like little Asian burritos. They're just so good. (laughs) Uh, Vegetables, meat, spices. You guys know what I'm talking about. Rolled up in the little rice paper. Uh, If they're good, they're fried. Thank you, Daryl, right? And you know when you're like with a big group of people, you're kind of mad because everybody wants one spring roll, but really you just want all five of them. And sometimes I think like, man, why don't I just get spring rolls for dinner? Like, why don't I just get 20 spring rolls and that'll be my dinner? Because I ordered cashew chicken. That's why I don't get more spring rolls because if there's anything I love more than spring rolls, it's cashew chicken. And when I remember that, when I remember like, oh, wait, I have something better coming. Spring rolls, right, they don't disappoint me anymore. They, 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 they wet the appetite. You guys are not going to forget that one. You're going to forget everything else I said, but you're going to remember the spring rolls, right? Those are good. Guys, the goal of the appetizer is not to be the main meal. An appetizer is just a teaser. It's a small taste to get you excited for what is to come. It's not supposed to satisfy you. It's supposed to build anticipation. And for the Christian... The goal of resting, the goal of practicing Sabbath, it's, it's not to fully satisfy us. It can't. It's supposed to build anticipation for the final rest that we will have when Christ returns. And, and so we, we rest by remembering what God has done, but we rest in anticipation. We look back in of what God will do. We look back at Jesus on the cross and we remember what God has done, that our sin is paid for, that we are forgiven, that we have new life in him, that it is finished. And we rest and look forward to the day when our toil is over and we get to see our Savior face to face. We were discussing this as a teaching team uh, on Tuesday morning and we were just describing like, hey, what what do you think it's going to be like? What do you think it's going to be like in heaven to, to finally be done with our, our striving and our toil? And it's, it's not that there's going to be nothing to do, okay, guys? Heaven is not going to be boring. I've actually heard people say, like, hey, I don't really like singing. Do I have to sing the whole time in heaven? Probably not. Uh, like, heaven is not going to be boring. But whatever it is that we do in heaven, I guarantee you it's not going to be burdensome. It's not going to be toilsome. Jeff, Pastor Jeff said this. He said, there's only fun work in heaven. To which Rolly immediately replied, yeah, I'm not doing any more email in heaven. Uh, br- brilliant, right? Guys, can you imagine like a life where you get to do fun work and no email? That's something to look forward to. 
But, but let, me, let me give you a small picture. We don't really know, to be honest. We have, we have small pictures of what it might be like. We don't really know. But let me give you one small picture from the scriptures. In Revelation 21, second to last chapter in the Bible, the apostle John sees a vision. He sees a vision of, of the new heaven and the new earth that's gonna come when Jesus returns. And he describes it to us, and it's beautiful. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. He said, Write this down, for these words are, are trustworthy and true. As this is what we get to look forward to. That when Jesus returns, and when we are reunited with God, when God is with us and we are with him, all sin, all evil, all pain and brokenness and injustice, gone. Tears, pain, that we won't know them anymore. We'll finally be at rest. Because this is the invitation that God is offering us. This is what we rest to anticipate. This is, this is beautiful, and this invitation is for us this morning to say, enter into my rest. Experience new life, and one day you will experience this. Now, I, I, I would be, it would be unfair of me to leave without giving you guys just a few practicals. Okay, this is our last sermon in the Sabbath series. And up till now, we really haven't given much in the way of application. Like I said, the scripture doesn't really give us a whole lot. But in light of all that Sabbath means and what it represents, I do want us to get better at practicing this. Taking time off to remember what God has done and to anticipate what he will do. And so I'm gonna give you guys four quick practicals. It won't, won't be long. And again, these aren't, these aren't from Hebrews. Uh, these are, are just separate uh, principles, not rules, principles. Maybe guidelines is a better word. The first is this. Sin is not restful. Sin is not restful. If you take a day off and all you do is sin, you have not rested. Sin is not restful. Sabbath is intended for your good. Sabbath is a gift that God gives for your benefit. And sin destroys and sabotages all of that. Sin keeps you from God. It burdens you with guilt. It alienates you from people. It doesn't restore. It doesn't satisfy. It doesn't make you happy beyond maybe a momentary fleeting pleasure. So Sabbath is not an excuse to sin. 
Practically, that means that we need to be really careful with what we do on our time off. I hate to say this, but six hours of watching football may seem restful, but it maybe also could be a little bit idolatrous. Maybe it feels good to sit on the couch all day, but you're neglecting your family and kids. Or or perhaps playing video games simply makes you angry and doesn't actually draw you any closer to God. Here's a quick test. I learned this from one of the guys that I disciple. He's actually here, Andrew Allen. He said, if I can't pray when I'm doing something, it's probably sin. And I think that's a safe bet. If you can't pray when you're doing it, it's probably sin. And this is, this is a, a note that I think is important. When you read the scriptures, especially Proverbs, we see that God hates laziness. Oftentimes we, we hear it called sloth, slothfulness. Slothfulness is a sin. And so Sabbath is not an excuse to just be lazy. So when we're planning our, our, our Sabbath, we need to be really careful that we don't intentionally plan sin because it won't actually give us rest. Second, work is not restful. And this sounds simple, but think about this. The idea of Sabbath is to stop working and striving and toiling. Uh, Now, again, in, in our day and age, work is only one email away on my phone. So we really need to be really careful that we don't allow work to creep into our Sabbath, our time off. So the Israelites, they, they lived in an agrarian society. So their living came from farming and raising animals. And so for them, honoring the Sabbath meant that they didn't farm, that they didn't care for the animals unless there was an emergency. They were supposed to stop their normal work, trust God, and do something that was not normal work. The technical term is we should do things that are avocational. Uh, A meaning not, vocational meaning vocational, work. You guys are all Davis, you know. So if you're a computer programmer, right, to practice Sabbath might mean you don't touch your computer for Sunday or Monday or whenever it is that you take your Sabbath. If you're a farmer, it might mean that you spend most of the day inside. If you're a mom... Husbands, listen here. Maybe it means that your husband takes the kids for the morning so you can get some time away from being a mom. Work is not restful, and God wants us to trust him by putting those things aside. And I promise you, this takes faith. Sabbath is an exercise, an exercise of faith. It is hard to put work to the side and trust God with time off. So sin is not restful. Work is not restful. Three, Jesus is restful. So again, rest is an opportunity to remember what he's done and to anticipate what he will do. It's it's a time for us to fix our eyes back on Jesus. Practically, this means that at least part of our Sabbath should be spent reading our Bible, praying, reconnecting with God, and worshiping him. Have you ever wondered why we do communion every week? Why every week we take a chance to remember the sacrifice of Jesus' body and his blood? It's because we're quick to forget. It's because in the span of seven days, we often lose sight of the gospel and what he's done for us. So every week we remember. Similar with Sabbath. When we practice Sabbath, we remember what he's done 
and look forward to what he will do because we are forgetful and we get distracted easily. Last, God's creation is restful. 1 Timothy 4 says that everything God created is good and should be received with thanksgiving. So God created this world that we might enjoy it. And yes, it's cursed. But God still allows us to enjoy the things that he has created. And so on your Sabbath, guys, do something that you enjoy. Do something that is life-giving. Go for a hike. Uh, work in your garden. Rolly and Tom said that they like to mow their lawn on Sabbath. That's restful for them. Being outside. Maybe be with people. Maybe you love people on your Sabbath. Be with people. Or maybe you need a day alone. <laughs> maybe that's what your Sabbath is. Read a book. Enjoy a good cup of coffee. Watch sports or play sports. Do, do what is restful. Enjoy the world that God has given us to enjoy. Over time, you can even develop a list. These are things that I can't do on Sabbath because they just drain me. But these are things I really want to do on my, my Sabbath. Because enjoy Sabbath as a, a gift that God has given us and as a, a reminder of the fullness of the gospel. I'm going to end on that note. I'm going to pray. Our hope, my hope, is that this would not just be a series that we look back and, and remember like, oh yeah, we talked about Sabbath that one time. My, my hope is that there would be a change in our convictions, how we think about Sabbath, and in our practice, what we do about it. So when the worship team comes back up, uh, I'm going to encourage you guys to, to think about this. And maybe you have something coming to mind. Maybe you think, man, I, I have been hardening my heart against God and, and I don't, I don't want to do that anymore. I, I want to trust him and obey him. Maybe that's your first step. Or maybe you're thinking, man, I've been like obeying God, but I have not taken Sabbath. I haven't been practicing that. I haven't been resting. Maybe that's your application. Whatever it is, talk about that with the Lord and leave here and put it into practice. Let me pray. God, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to die in our place, that we might be forgiven of sins and enjoy eternal rest with you. God, I know that it is hard to take that principle and to apply it to our daily lives, to, to trust you and to cease from our labors, but I pray that you would help us to do that. God, I pray that you would help us to trust you more, to obey you more. Would you protect us, Lord? Would we not harden our hearts if we're hearing from you this morning? God, as we worship, would you communicate to us what you would have us walk away with today? God, we, we love you and we, we thank you for this time. Amen. Amen.